Welcome to episode 15 of Recreational Thinking with Yogesh Rao. Our guests today are Jesse Palakzan, Rajay Kumar, and Steve Weiner. That order is arbitrary, but remember it because we'll be sticking with it for the rest of the episode. And so um, let's just start off in that order. Each of you just say where you're Skyping from and approximately one sentence about yourself, starting with Jesse. My name's Jesse. I'm from Seattle, where I live with my wife and child. You may hear in the background of this episode. Hi, I'm Rajay Kumar. I live in Los Angeles, and I'm a software programmer. Hi, I'm Steve Weiner. I live in Woburn, a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm actually a chess instructor. Oh, nice. Yeah, you should have chosen chess as one of your specialist topics. That would have been fun. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I picked, I guess, more general topics. I wasn't sure how specific to get, but I guess we'll find it out. Yeah, this is unusual because all three of you, when I looked at your, I set up the pairing, or no, it's not a pairing because there's three people, but whatever the three-person equivalent of a pairing is, I set up before I looked at your topics, and then I saw you all had submitted very generic topics. It's an interesting contrast from last episode when someone picked the elephant foot yam, so I had to write like four or five questions just on that and try and make them accessible to everyone. But yeah, no, chats would have been... Yeah, I wasn't sure. I guess, yeah, probably from a question writing standpoint, I thought if I picked really narrow topics that maybe, you know, the reaction would be, oh, well, I don't, you know, that would be hard to write for. But, right. Yeah, that's that's why I asked for uh, three of them. But also, I mean, it's it's part of the challenge I set for myself, too. You know, and yeah. sometimes I do have to go a little tangential, like with the elephant foot yam. But, you know, it, it's part of the what makes it a stimulating experience for me is that challenge of fitting to people's topics. All right. So this game's in four rounds, one individual and three specialists. The first I call the three R's round. It allows me to reduce, reuse, and recycle prior material. It's the only round where you'll all be competing as individuals. These questions will mostly serve as a warm-up, but they'll be worth a tenth of a point as tiebreakers. And they actually did have to break a tie, like the previous episode, for the first time. That was exciting. But um, yeah, by warm-up, I don't mean they're going to be easy. They're kind of throwing you in at the deep end to some <laughs> to some extent. But uh, I'll get your mind working and get you used to my question writing style. So for these, you'll answer as individuals. So these will rotate. The first one will be directed to Jesse. And then if he misses, we'll go to Rajay, then to Steve, and then we'll rotate. So there are nine questions in this round. Each of you will get three in first position, three in second position, three in third position. So the further back you are, the less of a direct shot you have of it, but the more time you have to think and some potential answers could get taken off the table. And then the rules will change after this one. And I'll explain that when that happens. Now, just a reminder to kind of talk through your thinking process, because the content of the podcast is hearing people walk listeners through how they're approaching the problem and so on. So don't just, you know, think silently and then blurt out an answer. All right. So we will start with Jesse now. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. First question. The fact that whose 1983 novel Heartburn contains a major character named Mark Feldman has fueled speculation that she was aware of the identity of Watergate source Deep Throat. That one, I know, it's Nora Ephron. Good. Sometimes if the question is complicated, I can put it in the chat window and it'll, you all should be able to see it as text. But in that case, it wasn't necessary because you knew it right off the bat. Yeah. And Nora Ephron is the correct answer. She was married to, you know who she was married to, right? Bob Overd. Uh No, I believe she was married. Oh, Bernstein. Yeah, you're right. I thought she was married to Carl Bernstein. Um, yeah, I know you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one of them. All right, so the next one we'll start with Rajay, and it's connected to the previous one. So speaking of heartburn, Nora Ephron, it was a Romana clay about her husband's affair with a woman named Margaret Jay, later Baroness Jay of Paddington. And that woman was the real-life daughter of which UK politician? This man is the only person in UK history to hold all four of the great offices of state, having been at various times Chancellor of the Exchequer, Home Secretary, Foreign Secretary, and Prime Minister. Hmm. 
Uh, you know, I'm not very good with British politicians. Um, <laughs> I was, I, I, as a matter of fact, I was going to say Margaret Thatcher until he said he. So uh, shows you how little I know about this. Um, I know in Quiz Bowl, the name Oliver Crom Cromwell comes up a lot, and I don't think that applies here. So I will go with, oh, shoot. Um, what's his name? Uh, the really well-spoken guy that overcame his stutter, but they didn't make a movie about him. You guys probably all know this, and I look like an idiot, but... Um, uh, I'm, I can't remember anything. Uh, I'll just say Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a few centuries off there. Yeah, I figured. All right, we'll pass the same question on to Steve. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the four big offices and the, the ministries of the British Parliament. Like, I've definitely heard this. That someone had done this. This person's actually, are you about to ask to repeat the question? Yes, and also to be able to put it in the chat. Do you see it now? Yeah. I saw it briefly and then it disappeared <laughs> off. But it was mostly that it, it was the daughter of this person just to get try to get a time. Yeah, so speaking of heartburn, it was a Roman clay about Nora Ephron's husband, who I thought was Carl Bernstein, but I'm not sure now. Uh, <laughs> but her affair with a, or sorry, his affair with a woman named Margaret Jay, who was the real-life daughter of which UK politician? Okay, so the daughter, all right, so we want someone, uh, I'll say Anthony Eden. I feel like he was prime minister somewhere in that time period where he could have had a daughter in the 80s. Good guess. There was a previous episode where people had a lot of difficulty pulling any of the uh, between Churchill and Thatcher prime ministers. So good job coming up with one, but not the correct one in this case. Jesse? Yeah, you know, I am certain I've seen this figure on the crown, but can't pull a name, so I'm going to say uh, Major. So it was before Major and after Eden, the last Labour prime minister before Margaret Thatcher took over for pretty much all the 80s. Again? I almost said that, too. <laughs> Yeah, his name was James Callahan. Okay. All right. So the next one, we'll start with Steve. Joseph Burstyn Incorporated v. Wilson is the 1952 Supreme Court decision, termed the Miracle Decision, that held that motion pictures were a medium of artistic expression and thus entitled First Amendment protection. It revolved around the exhibition of a supposedly sacrilegious Italian movie, The Miracle, which starred Anna Magnani as a lonely goat herd seduced and impregnated by a blonde bearded stranger she believes to be St. Joseph. So here's a question. What man, not generally thought of as blonde or bearded or an actor, played the advantage-taking rogue in this vignette? Oh, I know something about Supreme Court cases. I don't know a lot about movies from Italy in 1952, or, or maybe the movie's not even from 1952 if the case got to the Supreme Court by then. Presumably the movie was from earlier. I don't know. I guess since it seems like it would be funny, to, I would say Mussolini was in a movie once. That's a nice uh, thinking outside the box. Definitely someone not primarily known as an actor, mm -hmm. but yeah, not correct here. So we'll pass to Jesse. Uh, I have... No idea. So going to school and Steven's answer, I'll say Berlusconi. <laughs> All right. Uh, good guess. Not correct here. Rajay? Hmm. Okay. So we need uh, actors um, from Italy. I don't know many. The only name I can think of right now is Enrico Morricone, and I don't think that's right. I'll go with it. All right. Yeah, not, not right. But you are thinking of sort of people better known for being behind the scenes personnel. In this case, it was someone best known not as an actor, but as a director who also had dark hair normally and had to bleach it and grow a beard for this role. His name was Federico Fellini. Ah, Fellini. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> oh. You might associate Fellini with later than that, but I don't know why. Maybe that's just wrong. 
Right, yeah. He he went through some effort. He didn't really take off as a director for a while. And people often forget he started off with the neorealist. You know, he is accredited a screenplay on uh, Open City by Rossellini and I think Paisan. People forget he had that neorealist period before he had his Fellini-esque period. <laughs> All right, next one, we'll start with Jesse. So, whose autobiography, published soon after his death in 1965, is the following passage excerpted from? In the prison debates, I argued for the theory that King James himself was the real poet who used the nom de plume Shakespeare. King James was brilliant. He was the greatest king who ever sat on the British throne. Who else among royalty in his time would have had the giant talent to write Shakespeare's work? It was he who poetically fixed the Bible, which in its present King James version has enslaved the world. Uh, 1965. Yep. Let's see. Um, I can't think of who that would be in like literary theory. So I'm gonna say Stratford. All right. Good guess. Correct. Uh, Roger. Um, I'm trying to think of the guy that they said should have taken credit for Shakespeare's work. Uh, they say that this guy actually used Shakespeare as a pseudonym, which I, I remember I knew at one point. Um. What was it? What was the name? Oh, um, hold on. It's coming to me. Oh, is it Bacon? Yeah, he was, again, a few few centuries before 1965. <laughs> oh, whoops. I misread that. Never mind. Okay. Unless you're talking about the painter, Francis Bacon. He would have been alive then, maybe. <laughs> I think that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not him. Not Neither of the Francis Bacons. All right. Uh, Steve? When we're talking about someone who, you know, the the belief that Shakespeare didn't write his plays, the, the first person I thought of actually was Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, but he's still alive. He didn't die in 1965 or whatever. So I don't know. I'm actually going to say Winston Churchill. I have some vague memory that maybe he was, got involved in this whole debate. It's amazing the list of like anti-Stratfordians or Shakespeare truthers. I think both Stevens and I think Scalia, who is on the opposite side of most other issues from him, they both, uh, <laughs> and in fact, yeah, they even hope hosted a moot court debate. Three justices um, basically sat in on a moot court debate about trying to settle the issue, which you can find video of on the internet. It's pretty fascinating. But yeah, Mark Twain, Helen Keller, Sigmund Freud, all of them uh, non-believers in Shakespeare. But this particular one who advanced the King James hypothesis, someone who died in 1965, spent time in prison, wasn't a huge fan of the Bible or Christianity, and uh, had a noteworthy autobiography that also made the career of its co-author Alex Haley. His name was hmm. Ma- his name was Malcolm X. Really? Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Next question, much shorter. It starts with Rajay. The Battle of Barrington of November 27, 1934, resulted in the deaths of two FBI agents and what wanted bank robber? John. I want to say. I want to say John Dillinger. Close. He definitely was killed in a shootout in 1934, but not this particular one. Oh, dang. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think, actually, I think it was, actually, it's funny, I, if I'm right, I may have yanked this out of Warned Week or something, because I think there was some recent thing about, like, his partner, so I'm going to say Babyface Nelson. Yeah, I, I remember that question, and I uh, I took the clue about it being youthful looking and thought, oh, clearly, Pretty Boy Floyd, but no, it was Babyface Nelson, yes, that is, uh, <laughs> yeah, after they got Dillinger, he was their next target. All right. And the next question, we'll start with Steve. But I was lucky there. I was going to say Dillinger until you said it. There are advantages to being later in the order. But yeah, these are only worth a tenth of a point, so they won't skew anything too much. All right. So your question, Steve. There are currently two pairs of cities in the U.S. that meet both of these criteria. One, they're the most populous city in their state. And two, they share their name with another city that is also the most populous city in its state. What are those four cities? 
Wait, so am I supposed to give two cities or just two names of cities and then it's the pair is the other city? You could, yeah, I guess you can. Actually, you know what? This is, uh, you know, we're all experienced quizzers. We should be able to ask states as well. So uh, you have to give the city and the state. Oh, well, <laughs> that may be hard. So, well, let's see. I think there's the most populous. And it's all right. Does that have to be the, can I see the question again? <laughs> it should be in the chat. Oh, there it is. All right. Pairs hmm. of cities have common names of a lot of people in them. So let's see. Let's go to states that have a lot of <laughs> populous cities. Um, are there multiple Charlestons, maybe? Like Jackson maybe comes up more than once. Although, if I ever have to come up with a state, I'm like, there's Jackson, Mississippi, but is there Jackson <laughs> somewhere else? I mean, there's Miami, Ohio, and Miami, Florida, but Miami, Ohio isn't the most popular city in Ohio. I already know about them as they have, like, a football, you know, the college football team. And so it's like, Miami, no, not that one. The other one. Um, what are city names do I keep repeating? <laughs> there's a lot of, like, Jeffersons and Lincolns out there. Um, it's like, is there another... Okay, there's Lincoln, Nebraska. Is there something else that... <laughs> I'm from Burlington, Vermont. There's a bunch of other Burlingtons, but, you know, it's like Burlington, Iowa or whatever isn't the most populous thing in Iowa either. I don't know. I, I mean, Charleston and Jackson are the only thing I could think of. I don't think I could put four states to them. But I guess, I don't know, those are my, t those are my cities I can come up with. So <laughs> just in the interest of moving along, I guess I'll give someone else a shot at this. All right. It's, uh, Jesse next. Yeah, I think Jackson and Jacksonville are close, but I think those are both the biggest cities. But I think it's Portland, Maine and Oregon and Columbus, Ohio and South Carolina. All right. Is that what you're locking in? Yeah. It's Columbia, right. point, isn't it? Shoot. All right, Rajay? I was thinking also Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, but also Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, you all basically had parts of it, more or less. So definitely <laughs> uh, definitely Portland, Oregon, and Portland, Maine. Those are safe. Those have much bigger populations than the second biggest. But at least with current figures, they're actually both holding on by very narrow margins. So this factoid could go out of date, you know, next year <laughs> or whatever. But um, the other pair are Charleston, West Virginia, and Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Mm. Very good. Yeah, Charleston just a little bit ahead of Columbia, South Carolina, which is uh, the capital. Right, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, I actually thought of Columbus, but I was like, is there another one? <laughs> Are Charleston and Charles, is the West Virginia and South Carolina one spelled the same? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Not one had a W and one didn't. I thought that too. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they're spelled the same. But when you see them just kind of in a list of capitals, people kind of assume that, that Charleston refers to South Carolina. But only the West Virginia one is a capital. Yeah. All right. So next question, we'll start with Jesse. Okay. I'm looking for something kind of specific here. Um, I guess because it's a podcast, I can do a little bit of prompting or anti-prompting. <laughs> But okay, here's a question. Jane White, who originated the role of Queen Agravain in the musical Once Upon a Mattress, was the daughter of Walter White, executive secretary and de facto leader of the NAACP from 1929 until his 1955 death. So here's the question. What specific prominent characteristic did Walter White have that made his leadership controversial? That characteristic was shared with other early Svingarn Medal honorees like educator Henry A. Hunt, Morehouse University President John Hope, and author Charles W. Chestnut. Is this related to the musical uh, Queen Agravain? I have no idea. I'm going to say they each had one eye. <laughs> Interesting uh, thinking outside the box. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, creative guess, not correct, though. Uh, Rajay? Hmm. I'm trying to take a cue from Jesse here and try to tease clues out of the question. I don't know anything about Once Upon a Mattress. 
when he said Walter White, I thought you were talking about Breaking Bad, so it shows you how little <laughs> I know about anything. Um, and then you talk about uh, the Spring Arn Medal, which I also don't know about, but you said Educator, which is interesting. Um, so, and he said Prominent Characteristic, and I, I, I assume that's... Uh, meant to be general in the fact that it could be something physical or something, you know, more internalized. But it all has to do with educators. So I'm thinking something to do with uh, learning or something related to that would make learning more difficult. I will say that they are blind. Oh, uh, that's another very good guess. A very creative one, but uh, not not correct here. Steve? Wait, so I said one eye, you said zero eyes? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to go to a different direction and, and think that maybe it's the, the fact that they're reading the NAACP that's controversial and say that there are people that were not African-Americans. All right. So, yeah, like I said, I was looking for something specific. So um, the Spingarn brothers, who were technically the presidents of the NAACP at the beginning, were, in fact, not white or I'm sorry, not black. They were of Jewish descent. So white in this country usually considered. But yeah, in terms of the executive secretary position, which held more power, usually was held by African-Americans. But you were you were very much on the right track with that. In his autobiography, which is called A Man Called White, he points out that despite being of... So in those days, it was what was called the one-drop rule, right? Any kind of like African-American ancestry like classified you as, as black. But all four of those men identified as black and were leaders in the civil rights movement and so on. But... They actually physically could have passed as white. That's what unified. And I mean, based on kind of primary source material, people at the time mentioned that as well. I think in, in Walter White's autobiography, he says he has blonde hair and blue eyes, for instance. So I can't tell, was my answer deemed correct or not? <laughs> not? Not quite, because, yeah, you said that they weren't black, which they were, right? It was their, it was their physical uh-huh. appearance that was the key part. Oh, well, well, I was, I was talking about saying that, like, they were all white, but I wasn't sure if that, like, <laughs> was that what you were trying to get out of it? I couldn't quite tell. Right. Well, it had to do kind of with the concept of passing. They all, oh, okay. they hmm. all could have passed for white. <laughs> okay, interesting. All right. And now the last of these questions that will have Rajay in first position. So Rajay, the five moons were five Native American women from Oklahoma, including Rosella Hightower, Mosseline Larkin, and Yvonne Chateau, who found success and acclaim as what specific type of performer? Hmm. I'm looking for something moderately specific here. Yeah, five moons, performer. I immediately think of uh, actor. That's not my answer, but um, it seems a bit too obvious. Um, and I'm trying to think what would be an interesting type of performance for Native American women from Oklahoma. I will go with ballet dancer. All right. So the two that I did, I specifically left out two of those names. The two I didn't mention were Marjorie Tallchief and her much famous sister, Maria Tallchief, who was probably the first American uh, really prominent prima ballerina. So yes, ballet dancer is correct. Oh my gosh, I totally guessed. (laughs) (laughs) Nice guess. (laughs) All right. And the last question of this round. So each of you is on the board now. And last question of this round, we'll start with Steve. Though his regime is known as the 12 years, Joaquin Balaguer actually served as president and de facto dictator of what country for about 23.5 years non-continuously between 1960 and 1996? Hmm. That's why I said was... Hmm. So someone who was in and out of power a lot. And then the end of it was in 1996. Uh, was it the, was it 
It's okay that like because now I'm trying to figure out okay which, which okay regions of the world that were unstable and had dictators between those periods. I don't know, the two things that actually come to mind are like Central America and Central Africa, and then kind of oh, I, I hang on. I have to look at the person's name again. Balaguer. I kind of feel like Rwanda or something had a bunch of people go in and out of power, but the name doesn't sound right for a person who would be in control there. Although, who knows? Some of these these people, they change their names or whatever. Um, But... Oh, there's a whole thing with the Contras and there being a civil war. So I'm actually based on that, and I know there was a bunch of regime battles and the banana wars, and although I guess those were earlier, but just a lot of the countries in Central America have had dictators and whatever. I'm gonna say Nicaragua. All right, good guess, Jesse. Uh, I'm looking at that name and feel like 1996 is important. I'm gonna say Haiti. All right, I'll keep quiet about that and pass it to Rajay. All right. Um, I'm noticing that Joaquin is spelled somewhat oddly with a carrot on the I and not an accent mark. Um, that might be some work of copy pasting. Oh, it is. OK. OK. I will ignore that then as a clue. Um, OK. So, yeah, I, I was thinking somewhere in South America initially when Stephen mentioned Africa. I was thinking, oh, what about a country in Africa that was under the influence of a Spanish-speaking country, since the name does sound like it's Spanish or Portuguese, and I can't remember <laughs> which countries uh, were uh, the satellites of those European countries. I guess Cape Verde was one. Uh, you know what? Shot in the dark. Cabo Verde. Sorry, I, I just checked to be sure, and yeah, that was definitely a typo. Uh, that was meant to be a regular accent on the I there. <laughs> no problem. All right, yeah. So so all good guesses, but I believe it was Jesse's that was the closest. So we had a previous episode, we mentioned the dictator Rafael Trujillo, who mm. the early yeah. half of the century ruled the Dominican Republic. But pretty much as soon as he was gone, Balaguer moved in and ruled it for basically the second part of the 20th century. I got the right island. I feel like she got a hundredth of a point for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it was the Dominican Republic. And at the end of this round, I believe we have tie scores of 0.1 for everyone. That will change soon, I'm sure. All right, so now we'll move on to the main part of the game. We'll start with what I call the not-all-that-hard round, first of three successively more difficult rounds. So this one will probably be the easiest questions of the game. So in this round, and all successive rounds, each of you will get three specialist questions related to your categories. I normally say here, not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of them, may relate directly or obliquely, but you all gave me super generic categories. So, I mean, yeah, there's just going to be somewhere within there. Um, and hopefully it'll match up with your expertise, but maybe not. And to keep everyone on their toes, I won't reveal the categories again. That's not really an issue this time. Okay, um, so here's the twist. Before you can answer, your opponents will get to work together to try and steal the points from you. You'll only get a chance to answer for points if your opponents miss. Sometimes to build suspense, I might pass the question to you without telling you if your opponents got it right or not. In that case, just for game theory purposes, assume they got it wrong. If they got it right, you're not getting points anyway. There will be some bonus questions, which are occasionally, if you get stolen from, there might be a bonus question that will be offered to you for half as much as to steal, just to kind of like, you know, give people more questions here and maybe give you a chance to show off your knowledge. And yeah, they usually don't really swing the outcome of any games, and they'll be unevenly and quasi-randomly sprinkled in, so you won't get them every time you're stolen from. And these questions are not that hard. They'll be worth two points as a steal, one point as a specialist, and now and for the rest of the game... Since two people are working together to steal, even if only one of them knew the answer, both of you will get full points for the steal. Okay. All right. Since Jesse's in first position, we will start with Rajay and Steve working together to try and steal from Jesse. All right. Is everyone ready? Sure. Yep. 
Yep. <clears throat> Going first for Ajay and Steve. Molly Gordon, the young actress who broke through in 2019 with scene-stealing supporting turns in the raunchy comedies Booksmart and Good Boys, is the daughter of Jesse Nelson, who directed Sean Penn to a Best Actor Oscar nomination in what film? Okay. Oh, what's it? it wasn't I Am Sam because in Tropic Thunder they made fun of how he did not get the award for that one. No, no, um, no, 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 it wasn't anyone. I think it is the I Am Sam because because what they're making fun of was that he didn't win the award that he only got nominated. They're, oh, is that what they're making? Oh, yeah, yeah it's a nomination. Like, like, like in the Tropic Thunder thing, they're making fun of Rain Man guy got the best actor, and this other guy, you know, Tom Hanks got best actor, but this guy, right. you know, didn't. But but then they didn't get nominated, so I'm pretty yeah. sure it, it is that movie. I heard win, but it says nominated. Um, yeah, I'm I'm down. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, well, you, you, you were the one saying it, so why don't you okay. actually say the uh, answer? Officially? I will say that we, will, we agree that it's I Am Sam. All right, you're locking in I Am Sam? Yes. Yeah. All right. That is correct, and I, I think I might be able to offer Jesse a bonus for one point. I just want to fact-check it very briefly. <laughs> Go Traffic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> when you watch so many movies, you learn about movies from other movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good because I've never seen I Am Sam, but I have seen a movie <laughs> making fun of it. <laughs> I saw it on a flight once. You're not missing much. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> Very resounding endorsement there. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. For Jesse, then. Uh, so Jesse Nelson's other probably major accomplishment. She was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for the book of a musical where the music and lyrics were written by a popular singer and was based on a 2007 film. Do you know the musical? My guess is that it's Sarah Bareilles and Waitress. That is also correct. So everyone gets points on this. Now the next question goes to Jesse and Steve trying to steal from Rajay. Stephen Knight, whose 2019 directorial effort Serenity has been pilloried as the worst Hollywood big-budget studio movie in years, is nevertheless a successful screenwriter with such credits as Dirty Pretty Things, Eastern Promises, and The Underrated Allied, as well as the TV series Peaky Blinders. He's also somehow one of the three credited creators of the original version of what extremely popular game show? Sorry, sorry, my daughter was like jumping in for a second, so I need to like reread the very <laughs> popular game show. Hmm. Extremely popular. Yeah, like how many game shows are extremely popular? Right, you know? that's why I feel like Wheel of Fortune, Family Feud. You know, I feel uh, like we're in like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire territory. Yeah, the Price is Right. You know, <laughs> uh, what about? Well, the dance show is an English one, and he guess he could be English. So a dance that, show is reality TV really a game show? <laughs> well, I feel like the so you think you can dance is that what it's called? Um, Dancing with the Stars. I feel like that's a game show, but maybe it's not. Maybe you're right. I, don't know. I would not think I wouldn't view that as a game show, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't. Yeah. Say it. I don't know. I wouldn't. I do wonder if it is something like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Wasn't that British originally? And then it uh, came to America. It's like they all were. I was thinking about The Weakest Link, too. Um, yeah. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. I don't really know who this guy is. So, yeah. Sure. Let's try that. Yeah. It apparently took three creators, but uh, we'll say Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. All right, yeah, I, I was also puzzled by many things, both how we came to be involved with it and how it took three people to create, but Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is correct. Oh, yes. I'm down. Nice. Oh, wow. Good job, guys. Good I job. Really think it was right. That was just... 
Yeah, and, and it, is, it is a show that had the same name in its original, unlike Dancing with the Stars or American Idol, it had the same name in its original British version as it did in America. So that made it a little easier to guess. But um, yeah, I should have mentioned it. But the, with the bonus questions, they're related to the question they spin off from. They won't necessarily be about the same general topic and they won't necessarily be at the same level of difficulty. So especially in the early rounds, they'll probably be harder. In the later rounds, it might be easier. But I do have a bonus for Rajay. All right, so Stephen Knight's feature directorial debut was not Serenity, it was 2013's better-received Locke. Although several prominent thespians, including Olivia Colman and Ruth Wilson, lent their voice to Locke, throughout the entire movie, only one actor appears on screen. Who is that actor? And note that he and his father also co-created with Stephen Knight the TV series Taboo. Oh boy, uh, I have not seen any of these. I'm not even sure how Locke was spelled until you posted it there. I was debating L-O-C-K or L-O-C-H, and it was neither of those. L-O-C-K-E. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see here. Olivia Coleman, Ruth Wilson. Um, okay. And they lent their voice to it. Only one actor appears on screen. So I'm thinking it's perhaps a live animation, or it's like an animation plus live action, Who Framed Roger Rabbit type movie, um, or uh, Cool World, if uh, <laughs> if you're not not in a Disney. Um, he and his father co-created the TV series Taboo with Knight. Okay, um, now you mentioned game shows and Taboo, and I'm thinking Taboo the game, but I don't think that's involved either. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that show is unrelated to the board game Taboo. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, again, I don't know what that one is. Um, but the only movie, okay, who's that man? He and his father co-created created a tv series okay um let's see tv series creators still don't know second game shows i, mean, I keep thinking of like merv griffin i'm like who's his son but no that can't be right and let's see we got a father-son team oh um i will go with a uh, hughes as a guess all right yeah so this i think was more of not animated more just one person talking on the phone a lot uh, uh. But yeah, he within a couple of years got an Oscar nomination and lots of really big roles. His name is Tom Hardy. Ah, very good. Very good guy. Very good clue. Because <laughs> I've been a fan of Tom Hardy since Layer Cake, and I thought that was obscure, but uh, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Future Yogesh. At the time this episode was taped, I had not seen Locke. I now have, and I can tell you that it is very good. All right. So, okay, the next one will go to Rajay and Jesse to steal from Steve. So, the music video for Avicii's 2015 single Broken Arrows, in which a washed-up track and field star returns to success and glory after seeing his young daughter demonstrate a backwards cartwheel, opens by saying it is inspired by a true story. In fact, it is extremely loosely based on the real life of what Olympic gold medalist? Oh, boy. Um, thank you. Um, Washed so, up track and field star. Yeah. So someone who went back to the, who kind of had a, a second wind in life with regard to their athletic prowess. Yeah. Um, the only, like, track and field star I can think of who had the kind of obstacle, and this is like a grim one now, but is Oscar Pistorius. Ah, I see. Um, was he a gold medalist? Ooh, I guess I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. Then maybe, like, Mo Farah? I don't know who that is, I'm sorry. I'm fine with going with Pistorius. Uh, if all guesses weigh equally on you, if one weighs right. more, uh, more for you, go for it. Um, I'm I guess I guess Farah, because I know that he won a gold medal, and I, I, now that you say it, I'm not as certain about Pistorius. And mm-hmm. that would be about the right time frame, I think. Yeah. Did you mention the daughter? Uh, I don't think Pistorius had kids? I don't know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, should we say Mofara? Yes. Okay. 
Lock it in. All right, you're locking in Mofera. That's definitely a, a better guest than Pistorius, who for whom <laughs> success, success and glory is not really where he ended up at all. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve? I'm pretty sure I know this one. And I think the real key is less the movie and more the daughter jumping backwards. So I'm, pre- I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the high jumper Fosbury, where the the way they jump now is what's called was or is called the Fosbury flop for a long time. I don't know if anyone actually calls that now. So that's, that's my answer. Guy. Yeah. So while I said it was extremely loosely based, despite that disclaimer, um, yeah, he wasn't really washed up and had to make a comeback. He, as far as I know, didn't have a daughter. He certainly didn't get the idea from watching his daughter do a cartwheel. <laughs> the part that is based in real life is that he did find success with the initially mock technique of jumping backwards over the bar in the high jump. And his name was Dick Fosbury. Wow. That's really Very good. good. Very good. So the next question goes to Raja and Steve trying to steal from Jesse. More than anyone else, Dr. Frank Job, J-O-B-E, is responsible for allowing whom to last an incredible 26 seasons playing Major League Baseball? Well, I, I happen Ooh. to know this one for sure. And this is okay. another one that actually just came up on Learned Week, too, in a one day about baseball. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, it's the pitcher Tommy John. I mean, I mean, it's called Tommy oh. John surgery because it was first performed on a pitcher named Tommy John. Funny. Like, okay. is that just... It's not the name of the surgeon. It's the name of the you know person who was operated on. So. Oh, I I totally thought it was a guy that injected steroids into Barry Bonds. So uh, let's go with yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, t- Tommy John. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, you you avoided the trap there of thinking that Tommy John surgery was given to someone named Tommy Johns. Um, <laughs> All right, that's correct. And uh, for Jesse, your bonus, also deserving some of the credit, is what teammate of Tommy John on the L.A. Dodgers, who won the 1974 NL Cy Young Award and also holds a Ph.D. in kinesiology? Yeah, um, I think he still has the record for most appearances in a season. His name is Marshall. Mike Marshall, I think. Very good. Yeah, Mike Marshall. So everyone gets something on that. That was probably a much harder question, too. So uh, even though you get fewer points, that was a much more impressive get, I think. All right, now, Jesse and Steve, to seal from Rajay. According to many sources, the fourth, fifth, and sixth derivatives of position with respect to time are facetiously dubbed snap, crackle, and pop. What names are given to the much more relevant and more often seen first, second, and third derivatives of position with respect to time? I think they're talking about physics here. I only can maybe think of this because I have a friend who's a particle physicist. Um, but snap, crackle, and pop, I think that, like, like I kind of think they're talking about quarks. Um, oh. No, I don't know. I could be completely off base, but if it's, but if it, but they're not talking about subatomic particles, then I have absolutely no idea, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think there's like up, down, and what? Ah, I'm gonna charm mess this up. is one, I think. Yeah, yeah, charm. There's like charm, strange. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we've the problem many. is like I know a bunch of terms, but since this is all like kind of secondhand, through you know, I like heard I've heard these words, but I don't remember which ones go together. <laughs> like charm, strange, and something. Oh, here, let me look at what the other three are: snap, crackle, and pop. Um, yeah, I was totally lost on this one. I was at hours, minutes, seconds, snap, crackle, and pop. So yeah, I, I kind of think I think it's a physics question, but it's like I feel like I know enough to know that it's a physics question, but not enough to actually like know the answer. Yeah, I think yeah, like charm, strange, and yeah, what's the other one? Right. Um. Yeah. Uh. uh let's guess up. I guess. Well, give me a second. <laughs> 
I feel like it's it's not that, but I can't come up with anything else. So yeah, all right. I guess we'll say up charm and strange. You're yeah. liking up charm and strange? Yeah. What? 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 Yeah. Yeah. Up charm and yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess yeah. You're you're all very extremely strong on pop culture. I think we might have found a, a weak spot. This time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Rajay has been keeping a poker face this whole time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I have a PhD in uh, electrophysics, so this is in my wheelhouse. Until this point, I was thinking I should just go yank the Ethernet cable out of my uh, modem here and <laughs> pretend I had technical difficulties so I don't embarrass myself further. Uh, you guys have been very patient with me. I appreciate that. So I like your thought process there, guys. And this is related to uh, how things change with time. The first derivative is velocity. The second is acceleration. And the third is actually one that's as obscure, I would say, as snap, crackle, and pop. It's called jerk. Uh, I've never used it in a physics sense, but that's the name. So velocity, acceleration, jerk, locking that in. Yeah, so the change in position with respect to time is velocity. Change in velocity with respect to time, acceleration. And yeah, it's, it's much rarer than those, but the change in acceleration with respect to time is called jerk. So those are all correct. Good knowledge. Well, I were, yeah, I definitely learned something. I, I, I sometimes joke that learning week should be called learning week because I, I learned so much from it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, right now, quite a few people who uh, who aren't as oriented toward learning as you are very mad at me. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jesse and Steve to steal from. No, we just did that one. I think they're to steal from me, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rajay and Jesse to steal from Steve. Despite its liberal reputation, what is the only state to never seat a woman as part of its congressional delegation at the national level? In other words, it's never been represented by a female U.S. senator or a female U.S. congressperson. Hmm. States with liberal reputations. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, Massachusetts or Vermont. I know Vermont has had Sanders, another another guy for a while. Oh, that's good. Massachusetts has Elizabeth Warren. Oh yeah, of course. It's yeah. So Vermont is a really good guess. I can't think of any Vermont, Oregon, but Vermont has an even more liberal reputation. I can't. I, I don't. I don't know any anyone else. I, I'm pretty sure Vermont had two men at least currently, and they seem to have been in there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think let's go with that. Let's go with Vermont. Okay. Vermont. All right, yeah, like in Vermont, the two male senators who've been there for a long time, Bernie Sanders and Patrick Leahy. And yeah, that, that is correct. And actually, yeah, I'll just ask you, Steve, as a bonus, can you name, so I, I named the two senators who have been there. Can you name the representative who has represented its at-large district since 2007? Well, actually, I can't. It's a funny thing, this whole conversation is that I grew up in the state of Vermont. So I find this whole discussion of Vermont somewhat in music. So anyway, the answer is Welch. I believe is the representative. Yeah. So I did not know that you were from Vermont when I wrote these questions. You did mention it earlier in this episode, but of course I couldn't change the questions at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, actually, it's hard to see, but like my, my, my shirt actually says it's actually a quiz bowl shirt I still have from when I did quiz bowl in high school in Vermont, <laughs> amusingly enough. Nice. Yeah, so uh, that one. When, and, and, that's, and also, that's the only reason I'm in Learned Week is from a referral from one of my old quiz bowl people oh. I knew that still lives in Vermont to this day. Cool. All right. So, been high scoring so far, but all right, let's go with now Rajay and Steve trying to steal from Jesse. Hillary Mantel's recently completed, or Hillary Mantel has recently completed a historical fiction trilogy whose first two installments both won the prestigious Booker Prize. What historical figure is at the center of that trilogy? Its third novel, the one that just came out, The Mirror and the Light, chronicles the four years between the execution of Anne Boleyn and this person's execution. Oh, um, oh, it was like, wait. And, and, go ahead. <laughs> I was just say like. 
I mean, all right, so it's in, like, the Tudor Elizabethan period. So, like, who... Now, wasn't Anne Boleyn was... married to Henry VIII, or am I... Yeah, well, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. well yes, Anne Boleyn was what caused that whole controversy that Henry VIII wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, so he wanted an annulment from the Catholic Church, and then his, you know, Henry VIII's interest in Anne Boleyn changed, you know, world history. Um, <laughs> so 40, right. 40 years later, someone Actually, who was so... then killed... It says four in the, uh, in the written part here. I heard 40 as well, but it says four. Oh, four. Oh, oh, four years. Oh, okay. oh, 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 all right. So that, that means that someone connected. Yeah. That was directly in, involved in that. I, I was thinking, oh, and then the next generation went by, and then this other person was then also killed. Right. But okay, so so someone who is... Someone who's worthy of historical fiction and who was executed, apparently, unless... Wait. Um, yeah. In his own execution. Hmm. The Chronicles of Four Years between the execute... Oh, 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 wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, his own... Oh, oh wait a minute, wasn't Thomas... Wasn't Thomas More involved in all of this thing with like a man, like, or or was that what dealing with, or was he dealing with somebody else? Uh, I have no idea who Thomas More is. <laughs> well, he, I don't know. He, he he was like a figure who was he was like a church figure who was involved and was trying. I think I, there was somebody trying to get Henry not to like you know do some of the things like like that he did, like cause a schism with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I sort of feel like Thomas More was someone who was eventually like he was definitely executed. That's one of the things. I'm trying to think of people who I know who were famous and who were killed. And he, <laughs> he's someone who was definitely executed in the Tower of London for like defying the king. Who might you well have been. I mean, I mean, I could also be off by several hundred years. It could be some uh, other king. Died. That sounds very plausible to me. The way you described it, um, I, I'm okay with that. As a, as a guest. Yeah, I don't. I can't really come up with other names of executed people anyway. So wait, let's say Thomas More. <laughs> All right, locking in Thomas More. Yeah. So your timeline is not centuries off, as you fear. It is. <laughs> it's just a little bit off, though. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Jesse. Uh, yeah, the first book is a. I can't remember if it's the first one or the second one now, but one of them is about heavily about the trial of Thomas More, but it's from the other side. It's uh, it's Cromwell. It's Thomas Cromwell. Yeah, so your your wild guess earlier, uh, Rajay, of Oliver Cromwell would not be correct, but if you just kept the last <laughs> name on that. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. There's no Thomas, apparently. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You'd combine your Thomas with his Cromwell. <laughs> yep. Well, if you buy me dinner first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jesse and Steve to steal from Rajay. Oh, do I not get a bonus? Well, you you weren't stolen from. You got you okay. got the point. You you got okay. it right. Cool. Yeah. cool. <laughs> no, I'm just greedy for points. That's all. <laughs> I'm going to need them. All right. Uh, now, Jesse and Steve, to steal from Rajay, there's a question. Who won the 2000, the year 2000, Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Performer in a Children's Series for hosting the Charlie Horse Music Pizza, despite having died of complications from uterine cancer in 1998? <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard of this thing, so I don't think I'm going to be that. So. <laughs> okay. Someone who is dead, but who, like, did voiceovers in, like, a TV show. Uh, You're the host. He died in 98. Um, Charlie Horse Music Pizza. Um, yeah, which I've never heard of at all. So that's, like, a complete, you know, means nothing to me. I, I don't know. I mean, have you ever heard of this television program? I recognize every word and can't put together a single uh, coherent uh, idea what it would be. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, who are women who hosted TV programs who have been, right. you know, dead for 20 years, approximately? 
Uh, who who was the one that had that sock? Who had that puppet or whatever? The lamb chop. Lamb chop. Person? Yeah, that's exactly yeah, what I was thinking. Of. Name. Like I can picture the the like yeah the, the action on the screen, but yeah, that's I I all I can think of is lamb chop, and I have no idea who the figure was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm having trouble even thinking of like a famous women television died in '98. Like in any context, I don't know if they hosted right. television. So I don't know. I got nothing. I don't yeah. know. I have a guess. I, I think we should guess Lamb Chop. Sure, Lamb Chop. <laughs> yeah. All right. You don't want to guess a generic last name? <laughs> Johnson. Yeah, Johnson is right. <laughs> Which one are you locking in? Uh, what does they? Well, I don't know. I just say Lamb Chop is a joke. Yeah, yeah. Answer. I'm hoping she changed her name to Lamb Chop right at the end. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I saw Roger that before in a previous episode we had uh, Christine Welter on the hand toward the camera. We had uh, Muffy Morocco and the towel over the face, but uh, Roger had a more subtle hand over his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I was thinking lamb chop before you guys brought it up, and I was saying like, oh, Charlie Horse, lamb chop. I kind of get it. And uh, I was going with that. I happen to know the name of the puppeteer. Sherry Lewis is what I'm locking in. Yeah, so I have been endlessly intrigued. I was obviously way too old for that actual show. Um, I've been endlessly intrigued simply by the title, The Charlie Horse Music Pizza. Because <laughs> um, those are, again, just four words that each make sense in isolation. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah charlie horse apparently was a puppet she'd been using um actually going back to like the 50s but was apparently a supporting character i also didn't watch lamb chops play along but uh was apparently a supporting character on that show but yes her name is or her name was sherry lewis she's been active in show business for a very long time before the pbs show we all vaguely remember going back to the the 50s and the thing your, your bonus would have been if necessary would have been about the fact that she actually wrote an episode of star trek the original series amazing which okay. one <laughs> yeah you, you look through the list of people who are you know some, that one jumps out and you're like that's one's a kind of an uh i'm missing oh shoot i'm missing the word yeah now. i have a star trek anecdote to tell at the end of all this yeah remind me if i forget all right. I'm just um, impressed. The, I'm just impressed our lamb chop train of thought was even somewhat on the right track. And we weren't just. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, no, you're totally off base. It was, you know, something completely different. <laughs> Maybe outlier was the word I was trying to think of. Yeah. So I'm having these mental blind spots a lot lately. Anyway, uh, last question of this round, Raji and Jesse to steal from Steve. The so-called spot resolutions demanding in vain that President Polk justify the Mexican War by pointing out the exact spot where blood was spilled on U.S. soil, as he claimed, were pretty much the only accomplishments of whose brief stint as a U.S. congressman. Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> I do know the Gadsden purchase was done after one of these wars, possibly this one. And that's the only name that sticks out. I don't know who Gadsden was. That's uh, the only guess I have. It's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is going to be like Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett or someone who is like Ooh. really famous, but was barely in Congress. And I can't remember if both or either one of them were there, but uh, Crockett was at the Alamo, right? I think they both were. Uh, oh. I'm not sure. Oh, so then maybe that maybe that's too. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is the wrong train. Hmm, I don't know. The Alamo. Let's see. Hold on. Remember the Alamo was the cry that was used to incite people to the Mexican War, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that timeline wouldn't work. Right. Uh, right yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Brief stint as U.S. congressman. Would it be some famous Texan, or maybe someone was in Congress and then they got they pulled themselves out to fight? I have no idea. Yeah. Thinking less that it was Gadsden, because that seems like something that happened after the war. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so if we think someone's against the war, like, you can only think of, yeah, like, who was against the war? Thoreau? But I don't think he was in Congress. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, why don't we go with Davy Crockett? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Davy Crockett. All right, Davy Crockett. Locked in Davy Crockett. All right, Steve? <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm on the right train of thought either, but I kind of think Abraham Lincoln was briefly in Congress, and he was a Whig, and the Whigs were definitely against mm. the Mexican War, whereas like the southern, whereas like the Southerners were in favor of it. So it could be way off in the timeline. But I'm going to say Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, everyone forget before he won the presidency, his electoral record was basically a very long string of defeats, except for he did win one election to Congress in the 1840s, didn't accomplish anything, and then you know. I think he lost re-election, and yeah, that was, you know, another dozen years out of office until he just jumped right straight to president. But yes, the spot resolutions were introduced by Abraham Lincoln. Oh, very good. Oh, good knowledge. I was also going to guess someone whose name was like a dog's name. It's like, oh yeah, Spot <laughs> and Fido. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> All right. So that was one of the highest, I think maybe the, I don't know, we made it through the entire first round with no misses at all. Every question was answered by someone. So we have at the end of that round a score of 7.1. Jesse, Rajay, 8.1. Steve, 9.1. So very close. And now... The second round, the only somewhat hard round, the questions will get harder, the points will go up, they're now worth four points as a steal, three points as a specialist, and we'll start with Rajay and Steve trying to steal from Jesse. To fans of detective fiction, Christiana Brand is perhaps the most notable female author who specialized in locked room mysteries, but she also created a memorable children's literature character named Nurse Matilda. So when the Nurse Matilda books were adapted into two big-budget Hollywood movies in the 2000s, what was the central character renamed to? Hmm, Nurse Matilda. Um... Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be too much help on this one. I don't know much of anything about this person or or these books either. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what... If you trigger something, maybe some random thing will be, oh, wait, I have heard of whatever. I mean, you know, in my mind, Matilda makes you think of the Roald Dahl book, but that obviously is, you know... That's not it. It's presumably not what we're talking about. That's not at all something something written by whoever this person is brand <laughs> yeah yeah i know i was like you know was was nurse matilda like a precocious seven-year-old no i don't think so um <laughs> i'm thinking i don't know what, what, what jumped to my mind was that emma thompson um role where she plays the woman with a big wart in her nose um i don't think that's right though i forgot her name anyway <laughs> oh, i was gonna say if you have a name at least that would be something that's more than i can come up with yeah let me see here. Um, two movies in the 2000s. Okay, okay, okay. Um, nurse movie, 2000s. Two of them. Nurse Ratchet is all I can think of for a nurse. <laughs> That's obviously not going the right way either. Oh, Nurse Ratchet from Awakenings? <laughs> no, 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 no. Nurse Ratchet from, was it One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or, or whatever that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, that's like up all the 40 time. years earlier or something. No, so. I don't think she got any spinoff titles. Let's see, there was Nurse Betty the movie, but I think there's a, that was a one-off. Um, and it wasn't a children's book. Wait, yeah, children's character, nurse. Okay, so what's it? Okay, I mean, like a children's character. We had multiple movies. It was kind of like a caretaker type, um, oh. probably female. Yeah. Thinking animated, but it could be live action. Yeah, I'm like I, I'm like I have a young child now. It means I know a little bit of what's popular now, <laughs> but not what was popular like 15 years ago or whatever. <laughs> when yeah. did I say it was in the thousands? Yeah, okay, big budget uh, big Hollywood budget. movies. Big budget, big budget. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. big budget just means like a studio backed movie, not like huge epic spectacular. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Opposite of low budget, it sounds what what you're saying. Um, or just not low budget. Let's go with um, let's go with Nurse Betty. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Sure. All right, All right. Yeah. Nurse All right. Betty. All right, yeah, that was a much a much more adult oriented movie. <laughs> <laughs> Only nurse one I know. All right, Jesse. Uh, Rajay, you led me there. I didn't have it until you mentioned the Emma Thompson one. I'm pretty sure it is Nanny McPhee. Ah. Yeah, you did land on it, Rajay. You just couldn't yeah. uh, close. Yeah, I don't know her name. I can. I yeah, you got anything. there. I didn't have it either. Get the assist. All right. Well. <laughs> And you have something, which is worth nothing in this game, but still, <laughs> something to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, that's all more than I had. I didn't even have a clue. Like, <laughs> but it just for me alone, I would have just been like, all right, I submit. I would have just got some <laughs> random woman's name and, you know, moved on. Andy McPhee, there we go. All right, very good. Isn't Colin first in that movie, or one of them? I mean, obviously not as the nanny, but as, like, the person she's <laughs> right. working for. It wouldn't surprise me. He's in that genre a lot. He, he was originally the voice of Paddington or something, and he was in Mary Poppins Returns, and he's been doing kids' movies quite a bit. Yes, I mean, the reason the points get knocked down a bit when you're not sealing is that you do, in fact, have an advantage. You get to hear your opponents discuss it, so you yeah. sometimes pick up on stuff. All right, move away from pop culture now to Jesse and Steve trying to steal from Rajay. Diarrhea, dermatitis, dementia, and death are the four Ds of what now rare disease that had reached epidemic proportions in the U.S. South by the early 20th century. It was finally conquered after Joseph Goldberger, using prisoners in the Mississippi state prison system as guinea pigs, showed that he could induce it in previously healthy men by manipulating their diet. Later, Conrad Elvahem and Tom Spies, or Spies, traced the specific nutrient whose deficiency was the cause of this disease. Talking about Scurvy, maybe? <laughs> uh, I'd want to see something I mean, about I teeth. Know. What'd you say? I'd want to see something about teeth if it were scurvy. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I, all I can the only reason scurvy came to mind was just the, like, like I, I know it was. But but also, but that got solved way earlier because I remember, like, Royal Navy ships started carrying, what is it, lemons or something? That's, yeah. Some, so, yeah, sorry. So, huh, I, I'm thinking just, like, old-timey diseases, and I've got shingles and rickets. Um. Yeah, problem with a lot of diseases is it's like I don't, you know, it's like disease that you know some of them it's like kills you. Well, I can be, you know, it's like they're right, it's right. kind of non-specific. Like although yeah. dementia, that's sort of rare that a disease would provoke that. Like you know, it's like you know, well, what you know, what would cause dementia? Like if there are people in prison, they're probably at least some of them are probably not that old, and it's not like you get Alzheimer's from your diet. So like, what diseases like cause like your memory not to work? Yeah, but it is about a deficiency. Yeah, it is something you eat, like, to deal with the deficiency. Yeah. I mean, pol- I don't know, I'm like, polio, I have anything to do with that, but, but that I feel like they had to, like, create vaccines for. It wasn't something yeah. they were just, like, change your diet, and, oh, you don't get polio anymore. Right, right, and that's why yeah, I don't think it's, like, cholera or dysentery or anything like that. Like, I, yeah, I feel like it's rickets, but I don't know why I think that. Well, I'm fine going with rickets. I don't have a like a specific disease. Yeah. I don't feel like I should go with rickets. That's a disease I don't know a lot about, and I feel like it doesn't fit well with the ones I do know. Yeah. So I'm fine going yeah. with rickets. I'm going to say rickets. All right. And you'll get, of course, crickets in response to that. Get- no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, rickets is definitely a deficiency disease, but it is not the one in question here. Mm-hmm. Roger? Interesting. Um, I thought Rickers was a great guess. I reminded of when uh, Homer, sorry, when Mr. Burns blocked out the sun in Springfield, and Homer complained of having rickets. And <laughs> I was thinking of how 
um, <laughs> perhaps in a prison where you don't have a lot of sunlight. But I guess this was not just prisons. This was elsewhere in the South. One thing I was thinking about was an iodine deficiency, which causes a goiter. And I don't know if that's the disease or not. And I don't know if it causes dementia, but I don't know much about it. I'm trying to think of other diseases, other nutrients you could lose that would cause a disease. And um, I think Ricketts was vitamin D deficiency and uh, goiter is iodine deficiency. I can't think of anything else. I mean, I don't know about vitamin K. I see a scurvy, but I don't think that applies here. Yeah. And let's see, what other nutrients could there be? B12, B6, I don't know. Uh, what else there would be? I'm just going to I'm just gonna go with goiter. That's all I got. I'm going to lock that in. All right. Yeah. The, the D part was maybe an unintentional mislead because it might have made you think vitamin D rickets. But yeah, the, the B complex vitamins were the ones to look for here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the deficiencies, there are many caused by them, pernicious anemia, beriberi. And the, the one in question here, the nutrient, the vitamin was niacin and the disease was called pellagra. Oh, wow. Okay. I that. <laughs> All right. Made it through uh, 10 questions without missing one. So, you know, I kind of do for a miss there. Most sets of contestants missed their first one long before question 11. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rajay and Jesse now steal from Steve. Between 1836 and 1921, Melville Fuller was the only holder of what position to have a surname that wasn't exactly five letters long. Wow. <laughs> short and to the point, like a short surname, that is, what position? Okay, I feel like it's short on purpose, <laughs> not because of the clue, but is there a certain, like, name that goes along with a certain position, like Smith or something that... Oh, that's a smart way to think about it. I was trying to think of positions like Supreme Court... Uh, Chief Justice, yeah. Chief Justice, uh, yeah. It, yeah, it could just be a... That's also likely that it's just something that, just due to happenstance, uh, happen to have yeah. five-letter name holders. Um, right. You can't think of anyone in that period. Um, so they did cover the Civil War, for what it's worth. Yeah. And World War One. See, Major is the last name. <laughs> okay, let's think about Fuller. There's some. Are there prizes named after Fuller? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think there might be, but I can't think of what it would be. Not British peons. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like it's gonna have something to do with American politics. Chief Justice, like, doesn't. I don't remember a Chief Justice office? with that name. Um, not that I studied them extensively, but we did right. go over famous Supreme Court cases when I was in eighth grade, and I yeah. don't remember that name popping up. Yeah, the phrase "the Fuller Court" doesn't mean anything to me, but I can't also think of anyone else in that period. Right. Um, and this is between those dates, so it didn't say when in those dates. It wasn't like the last or the middle of the first necessarily. Yeah. What would have happened? Yeah, maybe it was just like a, a random chance there. Um, right. Fuller, Melville. Is Melville a clue? Like Herman Melville? He's uh, into, into whales or, or the ocean? <laughs> Overthinking it? <laughs> yeah. Whale is five letters, so we might be onto something. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, head of the Navy. I don't know. Um, yeah. Things, I don't think it can be a cabinet department because they rotate too often. Oh, wait, oh, wait, look at the years because those are election years, right? Or like the, the ones after. 21 would be... Wait, would that make sense? 21 would be when they would, would be taken out of office, right? Uh, I guess. Maybe I'm looking too far into that as well. It wouldn't be the Olympics because that started in like 1890-something. Yeah. Yeah, I can't Wait, think of a better It doesn't say the U.S., though, does it? It, 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 it doesn't, but I think I can think of some English PMs during this period. Yeah, fair uh, enough. Um, this leaves only one more option to kind of hack Yogesh's mind and see what he was thinking <laughs> when he wrote this question. So that mm-hmm. is asking for it if I do that. Um, <laughs> Yogesh's uh, mind is very complex. It could also, based on what we've been through, um, Senator from the state of Vermont or something. Oh, interesting. <laughs> right, because this is a question for Steve, and uh, I don't know what Steve's specialty is, so there's right. no clue there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I would vote for either Chief Justice or 
Yeah, Vermont senator, but that seems incredibly unlikely. Let's go with Chief Justice. Maybe I missed one okay. in there. Yeah, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. All right, you're locking in uh, Chief Justice of the, well, of the United States. or yeah, the Supreme United States Supreme Court, yeah. 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 yeah, the technical title is Chief Justice of the United States, although, I mean, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court is the same yeah. thing. Yeah, so this is this is another pattern that happens sometimes. Sometimes people start off nowhere near the answer and then magically move toward it. Sometimes they start off right at the answer and then move away from it. <laughs> uh, but you, you completed the entire horseshoe. You started off... <laughs> Chief Justice moved way away from it and returned to it. Oh but 18, 1836, Roger Tawney became Chief Justice of the U.S., followed by Salmon P. Chase, mm-hmm. then Morrison Waite, Mel Fuller, and Edward Douglas White. So within those, Fuller was the only one whose surname wasn't five letters. Whew. All right. Very good, Jesse. I'll, I'll give you credit on that one. <laughs> And it's funny because I knew the answer, so I'm sitting there the whole time being like, are they going to come off or are they going to go back to it? (laughs) Yeah, I've seen people go through that experience many times. They know the answer, then they have to wait and see, are they going going to stick with the right one, move away from it? Yeah, that's... uh, Yeah, all logic, no knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of what this podcast is about, really. All right, now Rajay and Steve to steal from Jesse. There are two members of the Baseball Hall of Fame, one a pitcher who threw a 1964 perfect game for the Phillies, and the other the commissioner of baseball who approved Jackie Robinson's contract breaking the color line, to have served in the U.S. Senate. Coincidentally, what state did they both represent? Oh, I know this. It's Wait, wait I, I'm one of the stealing people, right? <laughs> yeah, you and I are answering to steal from... Yeah, yeah anyway, the answer, I mean, the answer is Kentucky. But I'm pretty sure I even know it's Happy Chandler and Jim Bunning. But anyway, but the answer is for the state, I believe. So I'm, I'm, I'm so, good with that. So, so yeah, the, the, the state of Kentucky... All right. Yes, they're uh, they're old Kentucky home. And as we're starting to see, one of Jesse's specialties appears to fit inside one of Steve's specialties. <laughs> <laughs> so we're having a, a category collision, just uh, like we did on the very first episode. And so your bonus, sadly, is not baseball related, but you, you'll probably get it anyway, Jesse. Which NBA star and 1964 Olympic gold medalist is the only member of the Basketball Hall of Fame to have been a U.S. senator? Um, pretty sure that's Bill Bradley. He was also an Eagle Scout and a Rhodes Scholar. He, uh, <laughs> he did a lot of stuff. I, I think that's the American equivalent of Exchequer PM. <laughs> Born in the Home Secretary or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Jesse and Steve now to steal from Rajay. What historical figure has emerged from obscurity and seen an explosion of interest in the past four or five years, leading to him being portrayed on TV by Coleman Domingo in Timeless, Adrian Holmes in Winona Earp, Jaleel White in Drunk History, and Jamal Akakpo in Watchmen? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I need to see the question. Reverse from obscurity. Huh. Are, are you familiar with any of these pro- these listed programs? I mean, I've... I've heard of drunk history, but can't yeah. say I'm like knowledgeable seen, about it. I've seen Watchmen and start in Tulsa in the riots in 1920-something? Yeah, um, I, I've heard of those riots, so um, yeah. person that was prominent. And it would suddenly appear in like many, many different shows. And Winona yeah. Earp, that's supposed to be a riff on Wyatt Earp or Morgan Earp yeah. or the Earp family. Yeah, it's like a, it's a TV show, yeah, where it's like a gender, I, I've never seen it. I oh, oh like, like like a gender swap, gunfight, yeah. okay, crowd type thing. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So we're looking for an obscure black historical figure from that era. Um. 
suddenly and like something has suddenly caused them to become very famous like right. now much later like why you know, hmm. i haven't seen any of these shows so I, I don't have like an obvious yeah i've seen Watchmen, but can't can't think of who it would be i'm gonna be very annoyed when i hear this answer um now famous african americans who were not famous at the time like seems to be what this is yeah I have nothing. I don't know, like Booker T. Washington or something. It seems a little, but I feel like he was already famous. Like, I feel like that's the problem. It's like if it's someone who was yeah. obscure, like that probably means like I don't know who they are. Right. I'm gonna say yeah, a survivor of the Tulsa riots, and I don't know the name. Um, yeah, I guess that's so, what we're locking in. Yeah, I would guess Freeman. Okay, a decent guess. All right, Roger. Um, I have seen Watchmen also, and I cannot think of who it was in there. Though I feel like I've been hearing a lot about Mansa Musa lately, and I'm just gonna go with that because maybe he was in Watchmen. I forgot about it. So Mansa Musa, locking it in. All right, yeah, no, their their uh, triangulation was a little more on point there with the, <laughs> the you know, Oklahoma late 19th, early 20th century kind of old West frontier type African American someone, yeah, who whose historical legacy has been there for the taking for a hundred years, but Hollywood only recently started picking up on it. He was a famous frontier U.S. marshal. His name was Bass Reeves. You may remember uh, Lewis Gossett's character in Watchmen was named Will Reeves. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. He was to be a descendant, I think, or maybe just inspired by Bass Reeves. Uh, right, yeah. All right. It does vaguely ring a bell, like I heard about, like, oh, right, because I, I, I think, like, you know, in Blazing Saddles, where, like, they make a black marshal in, like, a farce, I think there was some reference that there really was someone who did that. So I think maybe the name Bass Reeves actually came up in reading about Mel Brooks movies, of all things. Very good. Yeah, I think there was a, a biography that referred to him as the real Lone Ranger. I, I don't think there's actually not a ton of evidence that the Lone Ranger was actually based on him, but Hollywood really seized on that angle. And it's like, ooh, he's the real Lone Ranger. <laughs> all right. Uh, Rajay and Jesse now to steal from Steve. The third overall pick in the 1979 Major League Baseball draft was Jay Schroeder, who elected to attend UCLA instead of playing for Toronto and was later drafted by the Washington Redskins, became their main quarterback when Joe Theismann had that thing happen. <sighs> However, he was not the only future NFL quarterback taken in that draft. WSU's own Jack Thompson, the throw-in Samoan, was picked by the Mariners, and the Kansas City Royals chose not one but two future NFL legends who turned them down to play college football and then became Hall of Fame pro quarterbacks. Name both. Wow. John Elway was a really good baseball player. And he was drafted in 84, 84, I think. So a timeline just about after four years of college. That just about works. Yeah, I'm useless on sports stuff here, so. Yeah, 84 drafts. I I guess I guess Elway Marino. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great to me. <laughs> John Elway and Dan Marino. All right, locking in John Elway and Dan Marino. And Steve, are those right? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but that was probably what I was going to guess just out of, I mean, it seems like we're pretty clear talking about that famous quarterback class of 1983. And those were the two best players. I'm not sure if I remember that Marino played baseball, but I probably would have guessed him lacking anything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I took Ray Schroeder off the table too. So yes, Elway and Marino are correct. Very good. And uh, I'll just throw Steve a bonus. Who was probably the biggest steal of that year's draft, being selected by the Yankees in the 19th round, but then going on to play for them for 14 seasons, win nine gold gloves and a batting title, and be voted the 1985 AL MVP? Pretty sure that would be Don Mattingly. 
All right. Everyone gets something there. Lots of good sports knowledge from uh, Jesse and Steve we've seen. All right. Next one now, Rajay and Steve, two steal from Jesse. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a bit of a sports tie-in here. So this this is an excerpt from a monologue spoken by which movie character? The character has the same name as the real-life woman she was based on. So here's the excerpt. There was a track star from Pasadena in the 1930s named Matthew Robinson. Matthew Robinson shattered the Olympic record in the 200 at the Berlin Games in 1936. Absolutely shattered the Olympic record and came in second. The man who came in first was Jesse Owens. Owens went on to be a legend. Matthew Robinson went on to be a janitor at a whites-only school in Pasadena. The difference was two hundredths of a second. As if that wasn't enough, Matthew Robinson had a little brother who was also an athlete. His name was Jack, but everyone called him Jackie. I have two younger brothers who were also overachievers. While I was ranked third in North America, my brother Jeremy was number one in the world. And while I was placing into AP chemistry as a junior, my brother Jordan was doing it when he was 12 years old or something. I don't know. I was a hotshot student and a hotshot skier everywhere but my own house. Wow, that sounds somewhat familiar. I'm going to wait till it's pasted in. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. I feel like I need to read that again. There it is. Oh. Okay. Um, sounds so familiar. Okay, let me let me give it a read here. Yeah, I didn't add in the prompt, but it was basically which movie character the character has the same name as the real-life woman she was based on. So wait, what do we want? Want the character's name or, or the movie's name? Or I, I the like, monologue, so I don't know what's trying. Okay, so the, yeah. the name of the character who says all this stuff. And uh, it was from a, a movie? Yeah, but I guess I guess you say it was a movie, but the, the movie character where there was a real person that had the same name as this person, I guess. Yes, the monologue is from a movie. Yeah. Okay. And did you give the year of the movie, or did you not? I did not. Okay. No problem. Um, I don't recognize the monologue off the top of my head. I'm just. I mean, it sounds like sort of thing that is quotable, but I don't. Yeah. So like a woman with two brothers who are like super successful. Okay, thinking of that movie with the red-headed actress, that's what comes to mind. Are you big on movies, Stephen? Not great at them. And I'm better I'm better at older movies than more current movies. But I don't know, like, like this doesn't, you know, this isn't ringing, like, classic, I don't know. This also doesn't sound like the sort of thing that would be written in, like, the Hayes Code era Hollywood or something like that, particularly. It sort yeah. of feels, like, more modern than that. <laughs> Now, I think um, I know the movie. I just can't remember the name of it, sadly. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, can, can, can you describe, like, the action? <laughs> like, if, if I feel like if I hear a description of the movie, I'll be like, oh, it's this thing. Okay, so it has the red-headed actress that is, I believe, the daughter of Ron Howard. I'm so bad with recall right now. Um, I think I've just been indoors so much, I just forgot how to talk to people and remember names. Like, the whole function <laughs> of my brain is withered away. But, but, are, are you talking about one of those disaster move, move, movies, no, no. like Armageddon or no, whatever? She, she's like one of those political fixers, and she fixes things, and um, she's like very sad oh, okay. And her name is Bryce, I think Bryce Dallas Howard, or it's the other one that looks like her, that is a different name that I was mixed up. And it's like, the name of the movie is like Claire something? Claiborne? Oh. What is it? The name of the movie is just her name, and it's like... Quareborn doesn't ring a bell, but it doesn't mean no. it couldn't be a movie. It's not one I... It was actually a good movie, and I feel bad I forgot the name of it. It may be wrong, first of all, but... Um, I, I don't think I'm going to come up with it, so if you can come up with just a name that we can guess. Jessica... Yeah, so I'll note that since I did ask about a character, the rules say that with real people, you generally need a last name. Characters, any identifiable name, first or last. So first name by itself will be accepted as long as it's correct. Oh, okay. I think it was Jessica. You want to just go with that? Yeah, sure. I'm not going to improve that, so <laughs> sure. 
All right, Jessica, start locking. All right. So many times I wanted to, like, jump through the screen and, like... <laughs> choke <out>. me. <laughs> Help you out or choke you. One of those. Um, all right. Uh, Jesse? So it's Jessica Chastain's the actress. Yes. Um, Mrs. Sloan was the one where she's the political fixer, but this is the Aaron Sorkin movie, and he uses this speech in Sports Night, but it's in Molly's game. Um, oh. She is Molly Bloom. Yeah, and her real-life brother, Jeremy Bloom, was not just a, a hotshot downhill skier. He also uh, was drafted into the NFL, was injured, and never actually played in a regular season game. But, um, yeah, no, you you were, I think, you were mashing together so many movies there. First of all, you were mixing up Bryce Dallas Howard and Jessica Chastain, which yeah, is, that's yes, a very very common mistake, so much so that yeah, it's a, just fair, because I'm pretty sure they're the same person. But right. yeah. There's a, uh, a song on the internet called I Am Not Jessica Chastain, sung from the perspective of Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, <laughs> and the real Bryce Dallas Howard at one point posted a video of herself lip syncing to it. And yeah, and then you got, yeah, Miss Sloan, which is a movie written by someone who really wishes they were Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mixed up with molly's game which was written by the actual aaron sorkin and i think you were maybe putting a bit of uh, dolores claiborne in there as well <laughs> yeah i think i think that was in there i knew that wasn't it because that was something different <laughs> yeah, that very was, good jesse uh, very good yeah i flattened out my delivery i didn't lean into the sorkinian rhythms there but uh, jesse recognized it anyway and the next question, Jesse and Steve to steal from Rajay. Despite his very many legitimate contributions to statistical mechanics, quantum theory, and particle physics, who was awarded the 1938 Nobel Prize in Physics specifically for the discovery of transuranium elements, a discovery that was eventually shown to be a mistake? Hmm. It's definitely something my friend would know, but I'm... <laughs> 1938. Yeah. One thing about, one thing I will say from my, I from my friend about physics discoveries is that it's always people that are were famous a lot earlier because it takes them so long to verify that, you know, like Einstein was awarded the Nobel Prize in like 1921 for work he did in 1905. So yeah. I kind of feel like it's going to be like, like Heisenberg or, or, yeah, or somebody exactly like I that. Say. I want to say Heisenberg. We had Walter White come up earlier. Uh, I want to go with Iceberg. Yeah, we, we can go like, yeah, the full Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. But I don't know. Just like, I, I, just, I feel like it's be someone that, that like their breakthroughs were way before 1938. There's always like a huge time lag on these things. So I know nothing about physics about. Yeah, I don't have any guess here. I think go full Breaking Bad. Guess Heisenberg. Sure. We'll guess Heisenberg. All right. You said his name. All right. Uh, Rajay. So the discovery of transuranium I never heard of, but maybe because it was a mistake, it kind of got wiped out of history. But when it comes to statistical mechanics, quantum theory, and particle physics, the guy that comes to mind is Enrico Fermi, and I'll because uh, he has the element named after him. I'll lock in Enrico Fermi. All right, yeah. So there is oftentimes a big lag between discovery and, and giving the award. Sometimes it's pretty early. The the waggle dance for bees or the uh, prion theory, those were given Nobels before they had really panned out, and then they did turn out to pan out. So no one felt bad about that. Only a couple times have they jumped the gun so much that they give the award for something that turned out to be completely wrong and in this case no one really minds because he did so much other stuff that was great that everyone agrees he deserved a nobel anyway and his name was enrico fermi all right uh, uh, interesting fermi <laughs> yeah actually fermi was my phd advisor's advisor so i'm like a descendant of his academically though that's as far as accomplishments that's uh, <laughs> as far as i get <laughs> 
I'm proud to say that. <laughs> nice. And now the last question of this round before we get to the super hard round will be Rajay and Jesse trying to steal from Steve. So for a 2020 story, the University of Oregon's web journal Around the O conducted an informal survey on social media asking which U of O alumni should go on a hypothetical Mount Rushmore of ducks. When they tallied the votes, the top four finishers were Phil Knight, Steve Prefontaine, Marcus Mariota, and what 22-year-old woman? Oh, her name is like Ionescu. Uh, she just got drafted number one by the Liberty. I think that's her name, but I could be oh. off by a syllable. Yogesh, I think you pasted in the previous question. Oh, oops. There it is. Okay. Um, yeah, there's this basketball player who just was the number one draft pick in the WNBA. And it's thought to be one of the, maybe even the top scorer in NCAA history for women. Oh, wow. I don't remember. I think her name is Ionescu. Ionescu. Ionescu, yeah. Romanian name. Yeah, I say go for it. Yeah, lock it in. All right, Ionescu or Ionescu, yeah. Yeah, Ionescu. I don't know the exact pronunciation. She's the NCAA all-time leader in career triple-doubles. Oh. I don't know about points, but the only Division One NCAA basketball player to record 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. Yeah. And her name is often called just Sab, but Sabrina Ionescu. And so we close out that round with 27.1 Jesse, 27.1 Rajay, and 15.1 Steve. So a dead heat between Jesse and Rajay there. And now we'll move into the super hard round where each question will be worth six points as a steal, five points as specialist, and the difficulty will go up another notch. You guys have been doing really well with those questions. Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm getting most of my points from Jesse and Steven here. Um, <laughs> you guys are doing great. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I guess I had to go out there in the first room. Now I'm like bringing up the rear. <laughs> I'm trying to come back. Yeah, Chief Justice question. I was like hoping you'd go off, think of something else to say there. <laughs> yeah, you definitely mixed some points off you. Yeah, I mean, the years, as you mentioned, was kind of also a clue in that, like, they weren't really, they didn't line up nicely with, like, election years or anything. So another clue that it was a non-elected position. All right. So I, I trimmed some clues out of this question, too, since you guys have been doing so well on pop culture stuff. And this is supposed to be the super hard round. <laughs> yeah, as I said, the points go up. Six for a steal, five for a specialist. And the difficulty hopefully goes up as well. So this first question goes to Raji and Steve trying to steal from Jesse. The 2019 romantic comedy Olympic Dreams was the first film ever shot on location in the Olympic Athlete Village, uh, in this case in the 2018 village in Pyeongchang. Something accomplished by having the director and the two main stars do most of the camera work themselves. So the director and the female lead are a married couple, Jeremy Teicher and Alexi Pappas, who had previously co-directed a movie called Track Town about an aspiring Olympic distance runner, which is fitting as Pappas had represented Greece in the 10K at the 2016 Summer Olympics. The male lead in Olympic Dreams, meanwhile, was played by what comedian who has recently begun putting aside his abrasive screen persona by playing straight dramatic roles like lawyer Benny Cohen in Loving and Mossad agent Rafi Aitan in Operation Finale? Ooh, abrasive comedian. First thing I think of is Mark Marin, but I don't know if he was in this in any of these movies or if that's just way off base. Let me see. Who recently began putting aside his abrasive screen persona by playing straight dramatic roles. I didn't see Loving. Did you see Loving? No, sorry. I, I have a three-year-old, so I don't get out to the movies <laughs> a lot these days. <laughs> so, like, yeah, and unfortunately, recent cinema is not a strong point of mine. It's like, you know, like, there was also like a joke of, like, if it's from before I was born, I have a better chance of knowing something about it. Um <laughs> Maybe they made, like, a uh, Thomas the Tank Engine episode inspired by this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, just, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Mossad agent. Hmm. 
I mean, Favreau is just like like who's a comedian who's also an actor. Um, yeah, a brave. I mean, I mean, I don't. Know. I mean, I know Louis Black was a voice actor in Inside Out, but I don't know like if he's actually done non-voice acting work. But uh, I feel like I would have heard about it if he was a movie. Also, wasn't he disgraced in some way? Oh, wait a minute! Uh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Maybe it's Sasha Baron Cohen. What do you think? Oh, 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 right, right. That's, that's right. I guess originally he was more of a comedian than an yeah. actor. Yeah, that feels that right to me. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. What do you think? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. That we, that does sound felt like it would fit. So sure, let's go with that. All right. Yeah, we're gonna lock in Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, yeah. Also, Louis Black and Louis C.K. are very different people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not get yeah. sued here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Um, I think the lawyer in Loving was Nick Kroll. So the, oh, sorry, is that what you're locking in? Yeah, 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 lock it in. All right, yeah, so the clue I deleted was that he'd created an animated show that had aired three seasons on Netflix. Uh, I thought it might make it a little too easy, but yeah, good job pulling out Nick Kroll. Right, Nick Kroll. Very good, very good question. Well, that breaks a tie between Jesse and Rajay. All right, and now question for Jesse and Steve, just to try and steal from Rajay. John Berryman's Dream Song 29 is the source of the phrases This is Not for Tears and Nobody is Ever Missing, which have served as episode titles for the two season finales that have so far aired for what Emmy nominated show? Or I'll add Emmy nominated drama series. That's slightly easier. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that television is like very much not my strong point. So, yeah. Uh, especially not like television that's like currently airing. Right, uh, right. Two seasons drama. And we think it's something that's like on a streaming service as opposed to like abroad. I feel like there's like more television in those places now than on like actual like television stations. Right, right. But um, has the third season of Westworld finished? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, because that seems like that would be in their wheelhouse. Second season, two seasons. Nobody is Atlanta's ever... a great show that's only two seasons. Nobody's ever missing. And this is not for tears. Yeah. Well, well man, I don't, yeah, it also says, like, I mean, it, you know, it's it aired so far, so it doesn't necessarily mean that they, you know, yeah, I mean, it sounds like this sort of thing where probably, especially if it's winning awards, that you'll probably, you know, the, the, the third season could easily be just ongoing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I'm leaning into Westworld, although I feel like the season finale might have already happened. Yeah, I don't know. Like, a lot of the shows I can think of I definitely have more than two seasons, so... Yeah. Um, well, say them out loud. Maybe it'll trigger something. Well, I don't know. I was just like, you know, there, there's a thing called, the like, the, the Expanse or whatever, but, like... Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I do vaguely remember, like, my mother asking for that as, like, a gift, and then it was like, oh, I want this thing. Oh, wait, it's not... It hasn't released yet or something. <laughs> So, but I, I also don't know. The problem is, like, I've heard some of these names of the shows, but I don't necessarily know what the shows. I mean, what is Westworld about? <laughs> I, that's just a terrible question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay, fine. I, I, I was just, I was just wondering, you know, you know, if these episode things, like, you know, nobody is ever missing, if that's supposed to be somehow connected yeah. to like the plot of the show. Right. Yeah. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes the episode titles are very whimsical and like don't mean anything. Whimsical is the worst possible descriptor for Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the show could use a little more whimsy. That's the only thing I can think of. That's where I'd guess. All right, sure. I'm not going to come up with a better one, I don't think. Okay. So, we'll say Westworld. All right. A very good guess, but not correct. Roger? Um, 
I first thought it wasn't Westworld, and you guys started talking, like, and I've been watching it, and I'm like, I think it's Westworld, and now I'm confused again. Um, all right, so two seasons, Emmy nominated. I don't know what is on that would be worthy of Emmy consideration, but my other guess, which is a hunch more than anything, is Blackish. So I'll go with that, Blackish, locking it in. All right, yeah. I did try and modify the question slightly to drama series to uh, kind of maybe narrow the things a little more. Because that's the thing about TV now. It's so, you know, you used to be able to, to write TV questions, people kind of triangulate their way to an answer. And now there's so many shows. You, you can't even keep track of the providers of scripted content. Much like <laughs> yeah. People- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's like... Yeah, but um, but you did actually pick the right network, Jesse and Steve. You uh, you did pick the right network with HBO. But yeah, they're a claimed show that has aired two seasons so far. It's called Succession. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that's why they sound familiar. <laughs> Whereas in my case, like I, as me, like not watching a lot of TV, like even hearing the answer, I still don't know <laughs> what that show is. So yeah. <laughs> Succession is basically about the the Murdoch family, but done with fake names. Oh, that's interesting. But yeah, I know that comes up sometimes for me on Learning Week too, where sometimes like even when I see the answer, I still have to look it up. I'm like, okay, it's this. Okay, what is that? You know, and that's sort of I thought with the succession of like even hearing the answer, I'm like, okay. For that, I would have been like, is that a TV show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling it's happening to quite a few people in the psychology mini league. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Raja and Jesse now to steal from Steve. All right, so speaking of politicians who competed in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics, which we were when we mentioned Bill Bradley, mm-hmm. in 1993, Ben Nighthorse Campbell became the first Native American in the U.S. Senate since what Kansan who served as Herbert Hoover's vice president? Hmm. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, same here. Um, okay. Famous landmarks and highways named after Native American politicians <laughs> to the rescue, maybe. Uh, uh, I can't think of any Native American politicians, let alone a... Uh, the only Native American Olympian that I can think of is Jim Thorpe, and that was 50 years earlier. Um, if it wasn't clear, it was Ben Nighthorse Campbell who competed in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics, not the answer. Oh, right, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. He competed in judo. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm I'm on Taylor quiz. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um Kansan, Herbert Hoover. Okay, so Hoover's VP. Yeah. Didn't run for president. I don't even know Jimmy Carter's VP, so how useless there. <laughs> yeah. What is a Native American name that doesn't make us sound racist? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I this is like a Cody Johnson you Smith to... territory. Or just say Cody, go with it. Great. Cody, locking it in. All right. Uh, Steve? <laughs> Wait, we weren't right? <laughs> I can name a lot of vice presidents, too, but I'm not sure if I can come up with this one. So it's funny. Like, I have relatives in Kansas, so, like, I know some random ones, like, you know, Alf Landon, who ran against Franklin Roosevelt, was the governor of Kansas, but I don't think he was a vice president. Let's see. Coolidge initially had no vice president because he was the vice president and didn't replace vice presidents until 1970s. So it happened once. Um, kind of picture like campaign slow or like, you know, campaign buttons of like elect X and this guy and that guy. But I don't know. The 19th century was better for like Tippy Canoe and Tyler too and stuff where it was like actually like memorable. Who <laughs> was the one that was 28 was when they finally decided to let Al Smith run because they thought he was going to lose. Dawes was Coolidge's vice president. Coolidge decided not to run. This Irvine Wenroop. I think that was a guy that was supposed to be VP, and then they picked Coolidge instead. So then he wound up being president. Then he chose not to run. 
And they wind up with Hoover. Hoover's is running me. Uh, I'm pretty. I don't think it's right. I'm gonna say Irvine Wenroot. Lock that in. All right. Yeah. For a long time, Charles Dawes was the only person to win a Nobel Prize and write a number one, a song that was a number one Billboard hit. Then, of course, they gave Bob Dylan a Nobel Prize. So that. <laughs> Back in our very first episode, we did mention the 1928 election. It was Al Smith running against Hoover. As we mentioned in that episode, one of his slogans was, vote Al Smith and make your wet dreams come true. <laughs> like a prohibition. Exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, but the ticket he was running against, Hoover was at the top, and his vice president was another Charles. It's very easy to confuse those two, but it was not Charles Dawes. It was Charles Curtis. Hmm. I'm sure I knew he was Native American, but, well... <laughs> Yeah, we kind of forgot that we had kind of a, you know, openly, not just, you know, like some hidden ancestry, but like, you know, like an openly Native American vice president in the 20s and 30s, and we've just kind of forgotten that. All right, Rajay and Steve now still from Jesse. David Bowie's I'm Afraid of Americans is most famous in a version produced by Nine Inch Nails, and it was a single from his 1997 album Earthling. But even before that, it made its first appearance in a rough mix on the soundtrack of what notorious 1995 movie? Ah. I was really hopeful until that last part because I like that song and I know the video. The video is interesting because it involves Trent Reznor shooting finger guns at David Bowie, but actual bullets come out and David Bowie is running for his life. Great video. I love it. Okay, so in 1995 movie. Okay, so this is like the era when everyone ripped off Pulp Fiction, right? We had like Go and other movies of that nature. <laughs> um, are you yeah, good with I don't know. movies? Like, wait, 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 was Jackie Brown a note? That's another Tarantino movie. That might be not the right time. Yeah, I thought that was later. Probably it is, because Pulp Fiction was, what, 94? I guess Tarantino went to the media, he turned around and made another movie. I yeah. feel like Jackie Brown was 97. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm like, that's when I was, like, in middle school. I'm like, I wasn't really seeing more films then. Maybe hmm. movie notorious. <laughs> In '95, um, was Pocahontas a movie? Like that—that that, that would, would kind of fit with the like. Why, like, why <laughs> would this song be in Pocahontas? This is not a very Disney-friendly song. Yeah, that was just a, even the name afraid, is not Disney-friendly, let alone the uh, yeah. content. Yeah, but I was just like, Americans movie. might be the most appropriate title for a Pocahontas movie. Yeah, <laughs> very good point. Very good point. I was trying to think who would the Americans be in that case who they're afraid of. <laughs> right, <laughs> take your pick. <laughs> well, I guess there aren't Americans yet. They're still British. Just like, what are movies from the mid '90s that are notorious, or just even movies from the '90s that aren't notorious but just existed then? Notorious is a interesting clue. Yeah, the reason I paused like there was like controversy about the movie, or that it was like really violent, or or something, or yeah, maybe you're onto something because that. 95, wait, no, hold on. Um, I was going to say, like, one of the uh, Paul Verhoeven movies, like, what's the one with Sharon Stone? I can't remember the name for some reason. Um, Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct, thank you, yeah, or Sliver, but those were, Basic Instinct must have been before that, so let's not count those. But wait, uh, 95 could have been Showgirls. Uh, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that movie was definitely notorious. Like, I, I was too young to see the film, but I definitely heard a lot about it, so... <laughs> Uh, want to go with that? I'm, I'm cool with that. Sure, why not? I don't have a better answer. Showgirls. If I'm wrong, I'll watch it anyway. <laughs> Locking the showgirls in. All right, yeah. The last time, uh, the last episode, there was a question asking about a 1995 movie. The correct answer was Toy Story. But if you go to the <laughs> opposite end of the spectrum, Toy Story is at one end of the spectrum, but the other end would be Showgirls. And that is yeah. the correct answer. All right. 
Great point. Oh, good. I'm glad we reasoned our way to it. Man, I was just like controversy. That was the sort of what's making me think like a movie that people were talking about or they wanted yeah. to. It's the first time I, someone used the words reasoning and showgirls so close together. Um, <laughs> I know. It's like 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 a, a world's first, right? <laughs> I was breaking all, all sorts of records here. I was all set to guess Natural Born Killers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When you said yeah, Paul Burr, it's good we didn't think of it. Maybe we would have talked ourselves into that instead. <laughs> Yeah, when you said Paul Verhoeven, I was like, oh, he's going to get it. And then you were like, basic instinct, sliver. And I was like, oh. <laughs> dancing around it there. <laughs> we managed to reason, managed to get there in the end. <laughs> yes. And now the next question to Jesse and Steve to steal from Roger. Though she is better known as an actress who received a 2016 Tony nomination for her play Eclipsed, about five women attempting to survive during an African Civil War. Its original Washington, D.C. production starred Letitia Wright, and its Broadway production starred Lupita Nyong'o, both of whom co-starred with this performer in a very high-grossing movie. Very high-grossing movies that made large amounts of money. Avatar, the Marvel, whatever it was, Infinity War. Like. Well, Lupita's in Black Panther. Oh, okay. So maybe we are right. talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and Black Panther has only made a lot of money. So, yeah. uh, Is the question posted? Yeah, it is. But like, but I guess the question is like, we we, we have to figure out like this act, the, like the, the, if it is Black Panther, who was another actress who played like a big part or whatever was was in this film with these other people. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'm butchering her name. Buthu Ra. Uh, I'm not gonna get oh, the pronunciation name. close enough. Uh, it's a hyphenated well, well, name. I mean, you, you know, one name. I mean, one thing he was saying was was for oh, oh, that was for characters. He was saying, I was like, oh, in one context, we only needed like first name, but I guess that wasn't a year. Yeah, for real people, you generally need a last name. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna do better than like Nguthu Ra, and that's all right. Hey, well, then sure, let's try that. Yeah, it's very nearly the name that I'm that I have in my head for this figure, so I'm gonna say that. Yeah, I think you're is it Gugu Mbatha Ra or something like that. That sounds very close to what I want to say too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so whatever permutation of her name you're locking in, it's not correct. Uh, ah. Yeah, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, I believe. Yeah. All right, so Rajay? Um, I believe it was, I mean, my guess is uh, the woman that played the mother of Black Panther and I believe Letitia Wright's character. So I'm going to go with Angela Bassett, locked in. All right, yeah. So you were all at the right movie. The original version of this question had Black Panther. I did some quick editing to remove the title because I figured you could all make that leap. But this is the woman who played... What's the character name? Okoye in Black Panther and the last couple of Avengers movies, also notable for her role on TV as Michonne in The Walking Dead, and her name is Denai Gurira. Mm. Rajay and Jesse to steal from Steve. I'm afraid this one might be a little too easy for this round, but oh well. What Hall of Fame NBA veteran served as mayor of Detroit from 2009 to 2013? Hmm. <laughs> um, was it a former Piston? Yeah. I feel like this should be. be. Um, what do we got? We got. What do we Bill Lambier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be Isaiah Thomas. I guess it could be Joe Dumars, but I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, Kevin Johnson was the mayor of Sacramento and not in the Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. Can't think of any basketball players being specifically from Detroit. Um, yeah, I don't think it's Joe Dumars, but I don't have a better guess. Do we know it's not Bill Lambier? I guess it could be. <laughs> I, um, uh, I think he was coaching uh, a WNBA uh, team during this period, but. Uh, Oh, you are? okay. Let's not go yeah. with him then. Okay, I don't, I, I don't have any. I have yeah. no hunches or guesses here. But whatever you, whatever you, you see fit. Yeah, sure. Joe Dumars. All right, locking in Joe Dumars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Steve. 
Oh, well, I, don't know. I thought that was a pretty reasonable guess, too. So, but, it's a reasonable guess, definitely. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hall of Fame player. I, like, I have a friend who lives near, somewhere near Detroit, but not, not enough to know who their mayor is. Um, I'm going to go with Nate Archibald. That's at least someone I think pictures in the Hall of Fame. So I'll lock in Nate Archibald. All right. Okay, I guess it wasn't too easy for this round, as I'd feared. Um, you were correct. It was a Pistons legend. He played for a couple other teams at the tail end of his career, but the bulk of it was with the Pistons. His name is Dave Bing. Oh, that does vaguely ring a bell, but yeah, I wasn't coming up with that. I've always heard of Dave Bing. <laughs> All right, so one specialist question now remaining for everyone in the game, and Rajay has a one-point lead over Jesse, so... The winner is very much uh, up in the air. Okay, Rajay and Steve now to steal from Jesse. What author and political activist who was the Democratic nominee for California governor in the 1930s and won a Pulitzer Prize for fiction in the 1940s self-published the 1930 book Mental Radio in which he presented evidence that led him to conclude that his wife Mary had psychic powers? Oh, wow. Um... Sounds like Art Bell. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Art Bell, but that's the only guy I can think of right now. Wait, oh, no, he's too. Wait, no, no, no. Well, it could have been him. He passed away a while ago. Yeah, well, probably. If he was someone who was doing this in the 30s and 40s, I sort of, you know, presumably he wasn't like, you know, I mean, if he was being nominated for governor, that's just someone who was like had some age at that point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to go with that. Like, to me, that doesn't mean anything. Whereas, at least in your case, a name popped into your head. That's more than it did for me. Yeah. He was very into the uh, alien occult subculture, I feel. Can't think of anyone else for the life of me. And this is someone who was eventually a famous author. I mean, this is what he won a Pulitzer Prize, so... He um, could have. I, I don't have a strong hunch. I have a hunch. <laughs> well, let's our, go with... I do not have a hunch, hunch, so let's go with... Let's go with your, you have a hunch. Right. I appreciate that. Um, sounds good. Let's go, we're going to go with Art Bell locking it in. All right. Yeah, I, th- I think you knew that was a low probability guest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a huge surprise. It's uh, not correct. Jesse? Damn. So I think I read during the 2016 campaign about populist uh, campaigns in the past. And I think it's, I get Sinclair Lewis and Upton Sinclair confused. And I think it was Upton Sinclair. Is that what you're locking in? Yeah, Upton Sinclair. All right. Yeah, no, that's an extremely common point of confusion. But yes, very politically active, involved with the Socialist Party, although he did get the more mainstream Democratic nomination in 1934 and won a Pulitzer for one of his more obscure works. But his most famous work came much earlier at the beginning of the 20th century. It was called The Jungle, and it's by Upton Sinclair. Wow. I did not know at all that he was later a candidate for governor. Yeah, news to me. He had a very complex life, and I, I only recently learned about his his belief in psychic powers and his belief that his wife could do remote viewing or whatever. Yeah, that, that's an interesting... Um, yeah, a lot of people know that, like, Arthur Conan Doyle was really into the paranormal and stuff, but we don't think too much about... There was a book published by Martin Gardner in the 50s called, like, Fads in the Name of Science, Fads and Fallacies in the Name of Science, something like that. That has a lot of really fascinating info on that stuff. Hi, this is Future Yogesh. Just on a note of clarity, that question was both written and answered long before any of us knew anything about the plot of the movie Mank. Alright, penultimate question of the game. Now, Jesse and Steve to steal from Rajay. Hank Azaria's recent announcement that he will no longer voice Apu on The Simpsons may have had something to do with the conversations he had with what Desi actor-rapper who co-starred with him on Brockmire? 
a member of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Freestyle Love Supreme Collective. This man was originally cast as Aaron Burr in Hamilton before being replaced due to addiction issues. He's recently made a comeback by co-starring in the indie hit Brittany Runs a Marathon and showed up from out of nowhere to perform a rap during the 2020 Academy Awards ceremony. Now, I heard about the Apu controversy, but uh, I don't know if that's going to leave me to, like, someone's name. Like, I remember hearing about that, that, like, this had happened and that he was not going to voice the character anymore, but... I was sure I had this. I know the, I've, the star director of the Problem with the Pooh documentary, I have that name cold, but the other guy, I watched the Oscars, and I remember being confused by his rap, but um, I am not close to a name. I... I keep just getting the name like Anand in my head, so that's the best I can do. It's just like Anand. Okay, I mean, I I I know that's like I, as a chess player, there's like a world champion of chess who's last who who was named Anand, and so I know it's like a common surname. Yeah, uh, but it's a name uh, that I've yeah like seen before, but I can't. I'm not gonna be able to pull it out more accurately. Yeah, uh, the problem is for me again, like as I said a few times on the podcast, like you know, 10, 15 years ago I was watching the Oscars. Now I'm not. So like what. Yeah. What's happening at the Academy Award presentations is no longer something that's like, you know, in my consciousness. So if you want to say Anand, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm not I watched the Oscars. I remember being baffled by his performance. I don't remember his name. I'm guessing Anand. All right. Yeah. And I'll always guess. I always call it Ralph's mm-hmm. first law quizzing when there's no penalty for guessing. And on this show, there isn't going to be one. Always guess. So, uh, yeah, you took your shot. Unlike uh, Aaron Burr or mm-hmm. well, no, like Aaron Burr, actually. Yeah, like Aaron Burr. Yeah. We, we didn't throw away our shot, right? Exactly. All right. Rajay? Um, yeah, I... I was going to say Hare Kondabolu mm-hmm. until I remembered the images of the guy rapping at the, the award show. And I'm like, that wasn't Hare Kondabolu. And then I thought, who was in uh, Brittany Runs a Marathon? And then I thought about Run Fat Boy Run, which is a totally different movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I have no idea who this person is. Um, and I have even less idea of the name. So I will just say Hare Kondabolu and lock that in. <laughs> Yeah, so Harry Kondabolu you know, made the problem with Apu documentary. I think this yeah. this actor did appear, in, and in fact, he voiced uh, Apu's nephew on an episode of The Simpsons. I could have thrown that in as well, but I don't know if would have gotten any of you anywhere closer to the answer. His name is Utkarsh Ambudkar. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, and now the last question of the game will go to Rajay and Jesse trying to steal from Steve. So uh, the winner of the game has already been decided since Rajay and Jesse are on the same side of this question um, <laughs> as all you know as i've often say the points are really just kind of uh, there for you know it's really about what kind of knowledge can you show off and what kind of reasoning ability can you show off not really about the points or who wins or loses because a lot of us determined by chance anyway so still you know pride to play for and now Raja and jesse to seal from steve here's the question Thanks to an unusually high number of faithless electors, in the 2016 Electoral College, the two main vice presidential candidates, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine, together received only 532 of the 538 possible votes. The other six all went to women. Two went to Elizabeth Warren. The other four went to four different women, two of whom are sitting U.S. senators. Name any one of those four women. Um, Feinstein or Pelosi? She's not a senator. Oh, well. Pelosi isn't. Feinstein is. Okay. Yeah. I know. Women in the Senate. Susan Collins, Feinstein, Harris, um, Patty Murray, Marissa Cantwell. Um, and now this seems like a it could have gone bipartisan, right? So would Nikki Haley be in play? She's a governor? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, that's why bipartisan does make me think that like Susan Collins would be a, um, not a bad pick at all. 
Timmy Duckworth, uh, Gillibrand. Hmm, Gillibrand, huh? Yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards Gillibrand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds okay. good to me. I'm gonna say Christian Gillibrand. All right, locking in Christian Gillibrand. I'll yeah. uh, keep quiet about that guess and pass it over to Steve. Interesting. The vice presidents are tricky. I remember the whole thing with face spotted eagle getting like several votes for president. And then I had to look up who that even was, which was a first. And like Colin Powell getting some of them. Um, so sorry. Uh, without revealing whether they got it right, if they did get it right, I'll treat this as a bonus if you can get one of the other answers. Okay, sure. For it's like I don't know. Did you know? Did, did someone give face spotted eagle a electoral vote for vice president? Or was it only for president? Um, I don't know. I, I actually liked one of the earlier answers, so I, I'm actually gonna lock in Susan Collins as my answer. So you're you're locking in Susan Collins? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they were basically I think set. Well, there were multiple electors who attempted to go. There were some who attempted to go faithless, but their ballots were thrown out. There were some who resigned rather than vote for Trump, or maybe even rather than vote for Clinton. But the faithless ones who actually were counted, there was one from Hawaii who voted for a Democratic elect from Hawaii who voted for Bernie Sanders with Elizabeth Warren as a running mate. A Republican from Texas voted for Ron Paul, but gave the vice presidential vote to his pledged candidate Mike Pence. And then a Democratic one from Washington voted for Colin Powell and Elizabeth Warren. But for in question here, there was a Republican from Texas who voted for John Kasich and Carly Fiorina. Mm-hmm. The Democrat from Washington who voted for Faith Spotted Eagle. The vice presidential vote went to a woman you might remember as Ralph Nader's running mate back in the day, Winona LaDuke. And of the other Democratic ones who voted for Colin Powell at the top of the ticket, the two sitting senators who got a vote each for vice president, one was also from Washington, Maria Cantwell, oh. and the other was Susan Collins. Ah, very good, Stephen. Yeah, I sort of thought it was someone who was viewed as like a swing vote, but I wasn't totally sure. But when you said Susan Collins, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And then when you went away from Susan Collins, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll give that answer. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So um, that brings us to the end. I believe we have a score of 26.1 for Steve, 33.1 for Rajay, and 37.1 for Jesse. Very good. Good job, Jesse. Great job. Congratulations. Yeah. You were saying you had some anecdote, I guess. Uh, yeah, so um, over here, I, I think this this channel is across the nation, but it's called Heroes and Icons. I have antenna here in LA, and from the hours of 8 p.m. to 1 a.m., they show one episode of each of the five different Star Trek series. And so I'll go to bed, you know, leaving that channel on and, you know, turn off the TV. So when I turn it back on in the morning, that channel pops up and they show Have Gun Will Travel. And one time it popped up and said it was written by Gene Roddenberry, that episode. (laughs) So um, that makes no sense now. But I think when we were talking about it, uh, what we were discussing, it totally dovetailed into that. And I didn't want to say anything earlier because I'm like, this could be a spoiler perhaps, but whatever. I should have just said it. (laughs) I think the connection was that we were saying that this person wrote an episode of, he was saying that the question mentioned, they were talking about, oh, the person wrote an episode of Star Trek and it really stood out that you're like, that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I I took a look through like the list of writers. Oh, I recognize these names, you know, Robert Block, Richard Matheson, Theodore Sturgeon, Harlan Ellison, really, you know, famous science fiction writers. And then you get to Sherry Lewis and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> but yeah, but with, with Happen Will Travel, I mean, I think obviously kind of an, an influence on the structure of Star Trek in terms of kind of going around to different places. And But I think Gene Roddenberry actually like wrote over 50 episodes of that show. Oh, he wow. Was, 
think, the most prolific writer for it, although it had hundreds of episodes. Yeah, it holds up surprisingly well. There are no real, like, half-hour dramas. I mean, there are now, I guess, Homecoming or a few others are there, but for a long time, that was an extinct format. And, like, you go back and watch the old ones, and they actually hold up pretty well because they condense all of the action into half an hour, so there's no filler. Mm-hmm. But when I was at USC, actually, Howard Rosenberg, my mentor who was the former uh, Pulitzer-winning critic for the LA Times, he taught a class there, and he showed an episode. And, yeah, like, everyone was, like, laughing so hard, like, intentionally. It was meant to be funny, and I was like, this is playing super well for, like, you know, contemporary college students. Yeah, that show, I haven't actually investigated too much, but I get the feeling it holds up pretty well. (laughs) Very good. All right, so you'll each get a chance to make a final statement that can be about anything you want, Jane Roddenberry or anything else. (laughs) Um, It can be about the game, it can be about the world at large, it can be about any combination of those things in any amount. And I messed this up last, because it had been so long since I'd done one that I messed this up and got it backwards last time. But I will remember it this time. The last place person gets the last word, so we'll go in descending order of score. So we will start with Jesse and then Rajay and then Steve. Wait, can we self-promote or is that not uh, allowed? (laughs) (laughs) It is absolutely allowed. So yeah, so what I I said basically, anything, as long as it's not too long or offensive, it'll be kept in. But yeah, talk about anything you want, including self-promotion. This was really fun. It almost felt like leaving my house, which (laughs) which we needed. And I think I got very lucky with uh, what the the subject matters were. So thanks. This was fun. All right, Roger. Yeah, thank you for putting this together. I didn't really know what to expect coming in. When I first heard the questions, I was like, these sound impossible. What am I doing here? But it was really fun and I learned a lot. And I wanted to also self-promote since it's allowed. I'm not breaking any rules here. I have an app to learn Japanese and it's a fun way. It's like playing falling block puzzle game and it's called Kanji Drop. And you just get it at www.kanjidrop.com. It's free for iPhone and iOS and open to all skill levels. If you're into brain puzzlers and games where you learn something, without being bored to death, uh, it's for you. And uh, I always welcome feedback on it. But uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Yogesh, for this opportunity. This was fun. All right, Steve? Thanks for the opportunity. I've been, especially now with everyone stuck inside, I've been, you know, watching more Jeopardy because it's, you know, my schedule is like, well, okay, Jeopardy's on, might as well watch it. And, you know, I, I was just thinking that, you know, I, I've really, you know, I haven't been in learning week for that long. I, I actually, I've just finished the rookie season and I'm, you know, I guess the new season's starting in, you know, two weeks or so. And so I was just thinking that, you know, it was, it was fun to actually go on and try out one of these things and, you know, see what would happen. And just, I, I've, I've, you know, enjoyed, you know, the chance to do trivia when we're all kind of stuck at home and they're not even taping Jeopardy anymore. So, so you know, nice to actually go, go and be a contestant here. So you know, I, I was very thank Yogesh for setting this off. <laughs> I mean, I still remember when there was the post about, oh, you want to do it? And then, you know, time would pass and I'd be like, I'd almost sort of forget about and then I get an email like, you know, what's your schedule like? So I'm glad this, you know, we were able to actually, you know, get on and do this. And they're definitely a good competition. And I, you know, I, even though I finished third, I definitely, I definitely learned a lot. It, you know, sort of goes back to that thing where I, I feel like I sometimes call it warning league that if we you know, have some new, new things to, to think about for next time. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, hopefully other people have a chance to do this too. Yeah, it's nice to hear people um, positively respond to difficult questions written by me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, This was episode 15 of Recreational Thinking with Yogesh Routh. Thanks for listening.